Lord be with you. Good to have you here. We're going to do the offering first. And before we do, I just want to tell you uh, what happened. Uh, We had uh, 15,247 people come for Easter, which means that we gave away... Uh, go ahead and put that graphic up. It means we gave away 15240 We told you we were going to give a buck a person just for fun, uh, just to be able to do that to help with this school in, uh, in, our, in our Africa project. And that happened. But I want you also to see everything else. Uh, we had 430 new child sponsorships in Africa, which means that on top of Ecuador and the ones that people have turned into us already, we know of... 1,645 kids who are sponsored worldwide who get food and get taken care of and find Jesus because of Parkview. And I'm really excited about that. I just want you to know that. We're going we're gonna to pass the offering. You guys come on up. I want to pray for us as we do that. Lord, I just pray that you'll be with us as we give back to you. I thank you for... Uh, I thank you for what we're able to do worldwide because of the things that you've blessed us with. And, and you know, Lord, part of this goes to, to that. And, and part of this go everything that, that goes in here is going to furthering your kingdom. And I pray that you'll help us to do that. Bless these people to give now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you're visiting with us, there's a welcome packet out there. We're not expecting you to do anything in the basket unless you want to uh, throw that communication card in. We'd love to have your information, get some prayer requests, uh, whatever it is that we can do. Uh, I want to show you this picture. This is a picture of uh, one of the kids that gets sponsors over there. I just love that because, you know, our president's father was from Kenya. So uh, that's pretty, pretty funny. Uh, we're just excited about what God's doing. Here's what I want to do with the pictures, okay? Many of you, including me, sponsor kids um, that, that, that you didn't do through Parkview. And I haven't even turned mine in, okay? And you haven't probably either. What I'm guessing is that there's probably three or 4,000 kids that are sponsored worldwide from Parkview people. And we're going to make a display out here, a nicer one, that will go with our stained glass out on that wall, out in that hallway. We'd love for you to send them in. So all you got to do is scan it or take a picture of it or whatever and send it to parkviewchurch.com, upload, and we will put that, we will add that to what we're doing and it'll give us a, a wall that's kind of a representation of taking care of the children in the world because that's a real value to us. You got to understand that it is. If you're over 70, um, please ask somebody to help you to upload your picture and... <laughs> I'm just saying that because my dad's driving me crazy with the internet right now. It's all good, okay? Uh, We have a What We Believe class coming up as well. That's coming up tomorrow night. I'm going to be teaching. A bunch of our people will be there. We'd love to help you to find out a little bit more about Parkview. Walk-ins are welcome. Uh, Prayer That Works is Thursday night for you ladies. $10. You can uh, sign up in the foyer. Jill Briscoe is a nationally known speaker. We'll have a pile of people here for that. Uh, Prayer That Works. We'd love to have you come and, and be a part. All right? So... Welcome to Parkview. We're glad that you're here. Uh, Easter, as a, Easter was awesome. We had over 15,000 people, which was over th- almost 3,000 people more than we had last year. Okay, and I'll tell you what. I mean, that's pretty awesome all by itself. But I'll tell you why it's really a- almost God awesome, and that's because on Palm Sunday, the week before, I got up and read this verse. Not not in a you know, prophetic way at all, because we were talking about baptism. And, and when the people heard Peter's sermon, they said to Peter, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, this is in Acts 2 as the church gets started. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and all those who are far off, for the, those who the Lord our God will call. And those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Isn't that interesting? I read that on Palm Sunday, and then that kind of happened on Easter at Parkview. 
And, and that's really exciting to me because um, we, we, did a, you know, we did a bunch of baptisms here already this weekend, and the Lord's just doing amazing things. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about baptism. Uh, we're going to do baptisms at the end. And I'm not, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it. Paul got baptized today, so I'll bring that out. But every time, it seems like every time I keep coming up with a cooler baptism story, I, I have a cooler one from last night. Guy came, and he had a state-issued ankle monitor, you know? He'd been in trouble. He's been in trouble with the law, and he can't leave, you know, somewhere. And so he had the ankle monitor. He's like, I can't get this wet, but I really want to get baptized. I'm like, no problem. We got this. So, so Nathan, our youth pastor, was in there with me. So Nathan's at the top of the stairs, and he's holding on to his leg. And I turned him around the other way, and we baptized everything except his left leg in the name of Jesus. It was awesome. It was awesome. He's going to be a pirate in heaven now, but I don't care. It'll be really, really awesome. I can't wait. It's really cool. So uh, we've baptized over 400 people in the last couple of weeks here. Maybe it's something that God's asking you to do. Really cool stuff. Uh, Just an obedience thing to be able to say to God, I I want to follow you. I want to do that. Easter services, I had a few technical malfunctions with trying to break my mirror and some of that. But you know what? I felt a lot better after I watched this service from a Nazarene church. His own son, the hour of vindication dawned, the breath of life blew through his grave. He rose up from his bed and left his shroud untouched by the wind. Then he walked right toward the door to stake his claim. Hill of thunder and the skies, lightning forked his jagged head, right through the clouds to where the soldiers lay. you something with I mean, what I love about that is that big guy was not missing his solo was he like dude I'm singing I don't care if the place burns down this is my moment God bless him that's so funny man so you know I, I feel better about the way things went listen we're uh, we're going through the story and uh, we're almost done we've been 31 weeks through this deal we got two more weeks after this and then we'll be finishing up and here's what I realized as our teaching team started talking about things, what we realized is when we get to the end of this, we got one week for the end of the world, you know, and, and starting over in heaven and revelation. And it's just not enough time. It's not enough time to spend 30 weeks on our history and one week on our future. So I'm doing this series. We're, 
calling doomsday preppers. Um, if you haven't seen this show, it is on National Geographic, and it's a show about people that have bunkers in their backyards and, you know, think the world's going to end and, you know, zombies and spam and, you know, the whole thing. And, and, and they're, you know, they're trying to prepare themselves for the end of the world. Well, guess what? We ought to be doomsday preppers. I mean, not that it's doomed for us as believers, but we ought to be prepared for Jesus said, you don't know the day or the hour, so you ought to be prepared. So we're going to do a little three-week series on that as soon as this series is over. And I just wanted you to know, because, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. And honestly, I thought when we got to this point, I really thought, you know, I thought we're going to be, I'm going to be like, man, I can't wait to be done. But the truth of the matter is, I, I've enjoyed this. I really have. I've enjoyed a 31-week series. It's been really, really cool. So, okay, so anyway, along the way, um, basically, here's, here's the deal. Uh, I, gotta, yeah, I want us to talk about the early church today, and that's, that's kind of the important thing for us, is that, that we get a hold of the, the journeys of Paul. That's what we're going to talk about today. But it's about the early church. And, and I, got a, you know, I got a letter from a guy this week, um, you know, complaining about our church. He'd come to visit. He didn't like our church very much. And, and you know, whatever. It's, it's all good. I mean, I promise you, I'm not like Larry Bird. I don't have feelings. So I don't care. You can tell me whatever you want, okay? Uh, but, but, but he said something, and, you know, he thought it was too crazy and funny and, you know, rocky and all that kind of stuff. And he asked me a question. He said, I, and I thought it was worth answering. He said, the church that I come from has been around since the first century. How long has your church been around? And that's actually a good question. So if you don't mind, let me just answer a couple of questions because this might be good for you and I'll just sit down. Um, our church dates back, our congregation dates back to 1951. That might be fascinating to you. That's a picture of the beginning of the Parkview Christian Church. It was 1951. There weren't very many people around in Tenley Park back in that day. Uh, and that's how our church got started. That's what it was called when I got here in 1990. And, uh, and yet the church that we come from also goes back to the first century. Really, you really need to understand that. There was a, the church is all the church, okay? I want you to, I, I'm not crazy about the history, but the church is all the church, okay? We all go back to the first century. There was no segregation of churches literally at all until about a thousand years after Jesus when the Greeks and the Romans broke up because of the priests being able to marry thing, okay? And, and then there was the Reformation and Luther and then everything started to, you know, really split up. But I believe, I just want to say this, I believe that Parkview is closer to the New Testament church than any old cathedral in Europe. And I'll tell you why. It's because what we're doing is we're going back and we're patterning ourselves after what they did in the New Testament. We're not going after the traditions of things that have happened along the way. We're going back to the tradition of the New Testament. We're going back to watch that. So we use their leadership methods. I mean, we baptize the way that they baptize. The methods and the things that we do and even the relevance of our congregation is all stuff that they did in the New Testament. You need to know that there were not any priests in the Bible, in the, in the church. As a matter of fact, it was the opposite. We were told that we were the priesthood of all believers. My wife's been taking a church history class lately, and she's helped me to understand so much of how things change. Over the, over the course of time, we started having priests that, that entered into this thing. And then over the course of time, like for one thing, one of the things the guy was griping about was that I was dressed in jeans. And, you know, it ought to be, I ought to be more reverent than that. Well, 
if that's what you need, that's fine. Please, Parkview's not for everybody. But in the early church, they didn't dress up. They didn't start wearing robes until the 300s. Until 300 years after Jesus did they start wearing robes. They didn't kneel for prayer until 300 years after Jesus. Do you know that? I mean, I mean they, that was one of the forms, but it was not the form. And that all happened as Constantine, the emperor of Rome, became a Christian. And they started adopting all these other things. And they said, well, the priest needs to dress up and we should kneel because we kneel before the emperor. And, and that's how it ought to be. And, and so they incorporated all these things. And it's cool. You can kneel if you want to. Maybe you need to kneel at the end of the service. We're going to have some prayer time up here with some people for you. But maybe you need to stand on your head because God doesn't really care what your position is. All he cares is that you pray, okay? And let's talk about music for a second. Do you really think that Jesus had an organ? <laughs> I mean, they weren't around. They, did, they weren't invented yet. And when the organ got introduced into worship, it was highly controversial. The piano even more. I mean, in the, in the U.S., when they started using the piano in worship, it split a lot of churches because where was the only place people ever heard a piano? You've seen Western movies, right? It's in the bar. That's the only thing you ever heard. And so they introduced pianos into worship. And in that day, it was like, heresy. What's next? Dancing girls? This is terrible. What I'm saying is that we're not supposed to go back and look at the tradition of what we grew up in. And when we look at the book of Acts, what we find is, if you'll really go back and read, they did things a lot differently than maybe we even do here. And we ought to go back and look at it again. Um, some people, you know, ask me from time to time, what about the King James Bible? How come we don't use the King James Bible? Isn't that, you know, God's Bible, whatever? Well, the, the, James, it was not the James from the Bible, okay? The King James was about the king. It was about a guy in 1611 who commissioned the Bible to be written. 1600 years after Jesus. And they went back and they looked at the languages and they translated it. And so the Bible that we're using right here, which is the NIV, it is going back to the language and translating it. And the reason that's important is because 400 years of English history has changed a lot. I was just thinking about it yesterday. Here's an example. Those of us, how many of you grew up at a church with a King James Bible? Okay. You know, that, that old time, give me that, okay. You, if you memorize this verse ever at, at Vacation Bible School or CCD or whatever, if you ever memorize this verse, it went like this. Suffer the little children to come unto me. That's what Jesus said. Remember that? Suffer the little children to come unto me. What does that mean? You have to spank the children before you bring them to me? <laughs> We have to have a bad children's ministry? What, what? I, don't, I don't understand that. I dare you. The language has changed. You see what I'm saying? I dare you to go to White Castle for lunch after this and say, suffer me a slider, please. <laughs> now, it might be true, you know, in a couple hours when it starts to work its way out, but... Uh, the language has changed. You've got to understand that. And so what we're supposed to do is use the language. And Jesus used common Greek language. He didn't use the scholarly language. Because the common people loved Jesus. The common people were drawn to Jesus. And Jesus wanted the common people around. He was always relevant. He used humor. He used modern illustrations of things that were going on. He wanted to be there for the common people. So we want to be here for the common people. And we welcome you common people. And if you're uncommon, you can go somewhere else that's all great and and one more thing yes i'm married um you know uh, i'm happily married i'm probably more so than her but i'm married and 
have been for uh, like 29 years or something like that. And, and a lot of people will ask me that question. How come? Well, that didn't happen in the church. That's our church, not the Catholic church. It was all our church. That's what, that's what my point is. But that did not happen until a thousand years after the early church. And if you go back and look at history, you'll find that it had a lot more to do with property rights and the priest's kids and the issues that were going on politically than it did with the Bible. Because the Bible says, Paul says, I would have you be celibate like me if you can. That's great. And then in Timothy, Paul says, you know, don't forbid people to marry. All right? It's a, it's a choice. Okay? But it's not a biblical idea. Peter was married. Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Okay? Paul might have been married. We don't know what happened. And then he was single. It doesn't matter. My point here is that it's all church history. It all goes together. As much as I would love to tell people that the Crusades didn't have anything to do with my church, unfortunately, as dumb as they were, that was the church of Jesus Christ. We are all in this together. Okay? That's, that's what's really, really important for you to hear. All right? Speech is over. Here's my funny church signs. Here's the churches you don't want to go to. I go to the flipping Church of God. Yes, I do. Or the boring United Methodist Church. Not fun. Exciting Singing Hills Baptist Church. That might have been where that video was taken. Or the Halfway Baptist Church. I love that one. Halfway. I mean, it's a town name. I get it, you know. But the, the point of it is that, that what we're going to talk about today is that we can't be halfway. Sutherland did a great job last week talking about how we're not a movie church and we're not a restaurant church and we're not a shopping center church, that we're a family of believers and that we're supposed to be disciples and we're supposed to move forward and we're supposed to advance the kingdom. That's what we do. So we find that happening in the book of Acts. That's what we find. Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, other most parts of the world. A threefold strategy. And then the book of Acts outlines exactly how that happened. Acts 1, they go to Jerusalem. Acts 8, they go to Judea, Samaria. Acts 13, where we are today, Paul goes to the uttermost parts of the world. So we're introduced a little bit more to Paul. He was called Saul today. He was the persecutor of Christians before God called him. He was a person that was holding the robes of the people that stoned Stephen, the first martyr. He was a very important guy, Jewish guy, Pharisee guy, very, very important. And he hated Christians. And he helped persecute Christians and have Christians arrested and have them killed. And he becomes the main character of the Bible. Is that not cool? I mean, think about how ironic this whole thing is. The early church would have been very afraid of Paul. I try to put it into modern perspective, and I can't even think of anybody. The closest thing I could come to politically, let's say it's Bill Maher. You know, the guy, he's probably the most antagonist towards religion of anybody. If Bill Maher became a Christian and he showed up at your church, you'd be like, really... That's what they were with Paul. You'd be like, really, Bill, do you, do you have a, like a secret camera on one of your buttons? Is this just a, you know, is this just a gag? I mean, really, how, how does this whole thing work? That's who the Apostle Paul was. And Paul was a Jew. Everybody was, the Christians were a Jew back then, okay? So we get the Jerusalem part, go to the Jews. We get the Judea and Samaria part. They're like a Jewish hybrid. They get, get better gas mileage. And then we get to the uttermost parts of the world, which are the Gentiles, the non-Jews, okay? And God chooses Paul the Jew of all Jews, to go to the Gentiles. He even tells Ananias, he said, Paul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings. 
I want Paul to do it. And you'd be like, well, why would you have Paul do it? He's a Jew. Why would, why would you have a Gentile? And I don't mean Paul's not like an Adam Sandler Jew. He's like a fiddler on the roof Jew, okay? You following me? I mean, he was Jew of Jews. And God uses Paul, the Jew of Jews, to go to the Gentiles who really don't like the Jews, don't have much to do with the Jews, don't really understand the Jews. Why would he do that? I don't know. Why did God ever use the least likely person, you know? I mean, think about it. David, you know, didn't even show up for the lineup when it was time to be king because they didn't think he was going to be there. You got Ruth, you got Rahab, you have Esther. I mean, I thought about this week. I thought, who is the most likely candidate that God would have ever used? And the best thing I could come up with was Moses because Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house, right? Until he killed that guy and went and became a shepherd for 40 years. And then he was the least likely candidate again. Listen, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what? I don't see how God could possibly use me. I got an ankle bracelet from the cops. I got, you know, this in my background. I got that. I got whatever's going on. And I don't know how God could possibly use me. You're probably just exactly the right person. How is God going to use a guy who grew up as a conservative preacher's kid in Oklahoma to minister to people who grew up Catholic in Chicago? I mean, when I moved here, I thought the Hail Mary was a football play. I had no idea. <laughs> it's oftentimes the least likely person that God uses, right? So here's what happened. God tells Ananias, this leader in the church, he says, I want you to go hook up with Paul. Paul has this vision. He, he saw at the time. He has this vision of, of Jesus. Jesus literally knocks him off his horse, shows up in a blind light, a blinding light, and blinds Saul and says, Saul, I want you to follow me. And Saul is just like dumbfounded and he can't see it. He's wandering around. So Ananias goes to Saul. He goes to the house and he enters it, places his hands on Saul and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, like knocked you off your horse and said, you're doing this as you were coming here. He sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Okay, I want you to read the next verse out loud with me. What did, what did Saul do? He got up and was baptized. Okay, yeah, boom. Every time it comes up, I'm going to keep hitting you. We're doing more baptisms. We've had over 50 baptisms again this weekend. People want to get baptized because that's the first thing that everybody did in the New Testament. They went out and they got baptized. Did Saul understand Christianity? No, he'd been persecuting it. Did he understand all this stuff? No, he, it was an initiation step for him. And Jesus got baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And the reason we dunk in the tub is because we're going to skip all that church history and go back to the book of Acts and do it the way they did. So maybe God's calling you to do that. I got this picture from Kim Fisher. Her 12-year-old nephew got baptized at my buddy's church in Lexington. And they did baptisms on Easter. And look how everybody's dressed up. That's my buddy John Weiss with a Elmer Fudd hat. Because it's 40 degrees outside. They thought, oh, it'll be warm on Easter in Lexington and it's freezing. Okay, I've got to tell you something. we got a new heater in there. It's money, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> I was in there for a half an hour. I was like, somebody else come on up. This is nice. So I'm just telling you, there's water here. You ought to get baptized. Paul. He becomes Paul. He goes on three missionary journeys, plants at least 10 churches, writes 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. What I want to do is go through the journey of Paul. I want to go through and help you to kind of see what happened just briefly. We can't go through all of them, but I want to show you a little bit about his life and what happened. And here's how it got started, okay? When the church was worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
And so they fasted and prayed. They placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Listen, we're going to have people at the end of the service that will place their hands on you and pray for you if you want that, to pray for the Spirit, for, for the things that you need in your life. That's going to happen. And they did that here. And here's what's interesting about that, okay? Um, it's about sending. And you've got to understand, Paul and Barnabas were two of the most important people in the church. They were like sending, it was like sending off, you know, Casey and Bill Brown off to another church, okay, to go do something. And sometimes I think about that, but, but it's, 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 it's like taking the most important people that you've got and, and sending them off. And we did, we've done this before. Those of you that were around, uh, you know, I mean, Brian Hunt was one of our great worship leaders here. And, uh, I mean, he still is, but we took him, and we took Kevin, who we found out was a great worship leader, and we took uh, Beth Ballone and some of our other great people, and there's some former elders, and we launched them over to Lockport, and we have a campus over there. And we're going to take Richie, and we're going to launch him somewhere. Someday, you know, that dude's not going to be sitting around here, you know, for you to make fun of his hair. He's going to be somewhere else, okay? And, and, and we're going to continue to do that. We have to continue to do that. And we do that with church planting. We, we, do, we do that with, 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 you know, we're getting ready to plant in, in Chicago. We're making a commitment to, to be planting in Chicago. And we've got some things that we've already done here. And we've got Salt Lake City and New York and those things. And we take those resources. And you need to know that, that we tithe off of what you give. I mean, the, the 90% goes to the ministry that's here, but 10% goes off sending it off to the other most parts of the world because that's what we believe in. And that's the, the way that they did it in the New Testament. They took Paul and Barnabas and they sent them. Okay, so here's my map. Start in Antioch. They, they head over to Cyprus. You're like, Cyprus, is that the... Yeah, this is all the same place, okay? That's what's fun about going to the Holy Land, is you're like, I, I'm going to be on the Sea of Galilee in early June, and I'm going to be floating on the same water that Jesus walked on. And, and that's a phenomenal experience. Cyprus is the same Cyprus, okay? As a matter of fact, economically, they haven't recovered since Paul and Barnabas left, evidently. I think that's what happened. So they go to, they go to Cyprus, they preach in Salamis there, and then they head down to Paphos, and it says in Paphos, here's where we start to find, about, find out about why Paul is such a great choice. Because Paul is not only a Jew of Jews, but he's a Roman citizen. So they get to Paphos, and, and Paul is able to preach and help convert some of the Roman officials in Paphos. It's incredible the things that have started to happen there. Roman governors and kings and all these people, because he was a Roman citizen, he had their ear. From there, they sail up to Perga. They plant a church up in Perga. This is where we hear about the John Mark story and about him leaving and being homesick. We don't know all about that. Then they head up to Antioch number 2, which is in Pisidia, because Antioch was like the Springfield of the old times. You know, there was like one in every state, right? Okay. So they went up to Antioch, and they had church up there, and, and, and they started the church, and it went really well. And then they went to Iconium. Okay. Once they got to Iconium, something started to happen. When they got to Iconium, the Jews, some of the Jews were starting to realize, hey man, this is, this is, like, this is going crazy. Because they're planting churches at all these places, and these people are becoming believers, and, and there are some Gentiles that are coming in, and they're infiltrating this, and the Jews want to keep it pure. And so they stir up a riot here in Iconium and start rioting against them. So Paul and Barnabas leave, and they go down to Lystra. Lystra was the most pagan city there was. What happens in Lystra stays in Lystra. That's what people used to say. Okay? And they start to plant a church there. And it's going really, really well. Like my buddies who have churches in Vegas that are going amazing. Because people always want Jesus. And they plant this church here. And in Lystra, the Jews from up here came down here to stir up more trouble there in Lystra. Because there was always opposition. And they actually stirred the people up to the point where they took Paul and Barnabas outside the city to stone them. 
Now that was what they did if there was a blasphemous person that was in the law. They would, they would take them out and they would throw rocks at them and they would kill them with stones. And they took Paul and Barnabas outside the city and it says they left them for dead. That's what they said. And that is going on in all parts of the world to this day. I mean, you, you, you've got to understand the stories. I mean, we're in Indonesia, uh, the, the places that we're at in so many places around the world. There's, there's religious persecution going on there, and you hear about it. And then there's, you know, religious persecution that goes on inside of our, of our states as well. It's not necessarily stoning, but it's verbal or whatever. This is going on all around. So they go on to Derby. They plant the church there, and then they go back and they go all the way back around again and make sure that all the churches are good. All right? And I see this, and it, and it looks tiring to me. <coughs> it looks really, really tiring to me because, you know, they didn't have planes, they didn't have trains, they didn't have automobiles, they didn't have any way to do this. And you need to understand that Paul was in his 40s, which doesn't sound bad today, but life expectancy back then was like 47. So in dog years, Paul's like 90 years old traveling around. I mean, he logged 1,300 miles of flight time, except he had to walk it or be on a ship. And the journey was difficult. It was a very difficult journey. All right? Very, very difficult. So why would he go there? Why would he go do this? Why would Paul go do all this crazy stuff and take this crazy, crazy travel? And it's because God told him. That simple. So my question for you today is, where does the Holy Spirit want you to go? And I don't know the answer to that, and you may not either, so let's pray. God, I pray for our crowd right now. I pray for those who are watching on the internet, Lord. I, I pray for my own kids, daughter thinking about going to Africa, and my other kids that are thinking about, well, trying to figure out where you want them to be for a summer, for a lifetime, whatever, that you will just guide them. Because I feel like I'm, I'm exactly where you've asked me to be. Um, I, I understand that, and that may change, but I, I, I feel that. But I know that even here, I need to figure out where you want me to go. And these people, most of them, you don't necessarily need them to go to Africa, but, but you need them to go, and they want to know, know where. Where do you want to send them? And sometimes the journey won't be easy, but where do you want them to go? Or to whom do you want them to go? Because you left us here to spread the good news. Just help us to know that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Two things that gave Paul everything he needed. Direction and determination. Direction and determination. That's what Paul needed all the way through. And if you need direction, as I said, uh, it, it, that's, that's hard for me to say. I don't know what that is, but we're going to have people up here at the end of the service that will pray for you and help you. And you need to discern that and read His Word and figure out where God wants you to go. But let me talk about determination for a second. Because here's the problem. A lot of times we think if I do the journey with God, it ought to go well, right? It, it ought, I mean, if it's God's journey, it ought to go fine. Everything ought to be good. Well, let me, let me explain Paul's journey to you. Not only was it arduous, but listen, he said, I've been in prison, I've been flogged, I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one. That's what they did to Jesus. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. We know about that. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've known hunger. I've known thirst. I've been cold. I've been naked. Does that sound like a journey with God? I mean, we all understand this, right? If you travel, you understand things are going to go wrong, right? You understand that. 
That's a real sign somewhere. I don't know where it is. They must watch a lot of Monty Python, but you got to watch out for cows falling. You never know what's going to happen when you travel. If you followed me on Twitter, you know I had a really bad travel week this week. I ended up traveling a lot, and I had a bad travel week, like probably the worst travel week I've ever had before. Why? Because I'm preaching on the travels of Paul. It's like going to Vegas on a week you're preaching on temptation. It's like going to my in-laws on a week I'm preaching on marriage. Just a bad idea. You know? You're just going to have too many sermon illustrations. It's a bad idea. I had five cancellations, uh, five uh, delays and one cancellation. I ended up 24 hours late getting home from what I was supposed to. But I didn't get shipwrecked. I didn't get robbed. I didn't get stoned. Although I thought about it. You know what I mean, (laughs) my traveler friends. I'm just kidding. Uh, I I didn't have the big problems, okay? I I was just delayed. I had to spend 24 hours in Charlotte, North Carolina, where it was 80 degrees. You know, they should have delayed me three days. No big deal. Paul didn't have that experience. Paul was more like John Candy and Steve Martin, where everything that could possibly go wrong was going wrong. But he didn't quit. As a matter of fact, the verse about Lystra, which tells us that they took him outside and stoned him and left him for dead, the next verse says, so he got up and went back into the city. Why would he do that? It's like one of those horror movies where the teenagers find an old abandoned house out in the woods and they say, hey, let's go into the old house. And you're like, no, there's a hockey mask guy. Don't go in there. (laughs) How many rocks hit you in the head, Paul? Why would you go back into Lystra? This doesn't make any sense. And he would say, well, Tim, it's because I have direction and determination. Because God told me to go there and I'm determined through the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to go back. And think about it. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. Okay? If I went to a town and I preached there and they hated my sermon so much that they took me out and they threw rocks at me, I would probably ascertain that God didn't want me to plant a church there. I would just somehow figure out that that was what God was telling. But Paul is not, this is really important, Paul is not trying to make God say things he wants him to say. Paul is actually listening to God. I don't do that real well. Maybe you don't either. He has direction and determination. It's really important. And think about this church plant in Lystra, in Lystra, Vegas, okay? He's going to go back in and he's going to plant a church. They left him for dead. He comes walking back. Just imagine this scenario. He comes walking back into town. They're like, hey, isn't that the guy we left for dead? He's not dead yet. Maybe God's got his hand on this guy. Let's go find out what he has to say. And boom, he plants a church and it goes crazy. Why? Because Paul had direction and determination. Because he, was, he, he wasn't worried about his safety. He wasn't worried about his security. He was worried about his direction and determination. And a lot of times I find it's not the people with the most talents or the most gifts or the most resources that, that do the most for Jesus Christ. It's the people that have direction and determination. 
because you can have all those things and if you don't have direction and determination, you're not going to have a story to tell. It's not going to matter. Usually the most effective servants I know are the ones that aren't the most gifted. They're not the most talented. They've just got direction and determination. They get back, go right back into town. And I want to challenge you on your journey. That's what I want to challenge you with. I know some of you are worn out. Some of you are tired. Uh, Maybe that's what you need to come up and pray for because you've been doing some kind of a a journey with God in your home, in your your neighborhood, in, in your ministry, in your business, whatever it is, and you're tired, I, I want to encourage you to keep on with the power of the Holy Spirit, to keep on. You know, you think about that, that determination. When I thought about that word, I remember the, you know, the Rudy movie. We had Rudy here a couple of years ago. I, this, this scene from the Rudy movie kind of epitomizes the whole thing for me. Go! Come on! Come on! Here we go! What's your problem? What's your problem? Last practice of the season, and I think it's the Super Bowl. You just summed up your entire sorry career here in one sentence. If you had a tenth of the heart of Ronnie Goose, you could have made All-American. That's a classic, isn't it? You just summed up your sorry career in one sentence. If you had half of Rudy's heart, you'd have been an All-American. But you didn't have determination. And yes, that was a young Vince Vaughn, in case you were wondering. I think for a lot of Christians that you can look at the end, you get to the end of their life and somebody could say, you know what, you summed up your sorry career in one sentence. You did not have direction and determination. You did not let the power work through you. You did not treat every day like it was a Super Bowl. You've got work to do. We've got work to do. Moms, every day is a Super Bowl for you. God has given you direction. He's given you kids. He wants you to raise them to know Him. And I know that it's hard, and I know that it's tiring, and I know that there are other things drawing at you, but you've got a job. You've got a ministry. Dads, you've got a ministry. You've got leadership in the home. Your kids are depending on you. People, you're going to work, and there's somebody three cubicles down from you that God has called you to, and you know that already. You know that you're supposed to be working with them, but maybe they're a little obnoxious, or maybe there's somebody that you don't have time for, or whatever. Hey, Paul got stoned and he walked back in. Okay? I'm just saying we need to have direction and determination. That's what makes us the people of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus had direction and determination. He got up and he laid down on a cross and let him nail him there. So if we're going to be a church that's going to do anything in the world, we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to act like Jesus Christ. And every day as followers of Jesus. We should be asking God every day, every moment when we, when we wake up, Lord, give me direction and give me determination. Let me let you hear from a modern-day Paul who's a part of our congregation uh, working in a ministry in Englewood. Just listen to this. Back in 82, a guy called me to a community on the south side of Chicago called Englewood. This community was marked by high poverty, homelessness, high dropout rates, um, people being put out of their homes, an area we wouldn't even go into, an area that was scary for everybody, including me, an area I didn't know that I really wanted to serve. I'm a farm kid. I didn't want to be down there. And well, God brought me down there, and here I am. I chose to live in Inglewood for a variety of reasons. One of the main reasons was I could be available anytime that people needed me. And it seems like people need you on the off hours, the hours that you don't work, like when you're in bed. 
that's when they need you. And you get up and they get the door knock and someone says, hey, can you help? And I chose to be there for that reason, so they can see my life and I can be part of their lives. Any kind of crime you can think of, we deal with. Shootings, theft, uh, robbery, murder. Then you also have the personal things, which would be your homelessness, your hunger, deep pain, um, prostitution, which causes that deep pain, high dropout rates, death hurts a lot, and it seems like it hits your favorite kids, the kids you call your own family. You know, being there as long as I have, I've grown close to many, many of the young people, and it hurts when you lose one, just like at home. Other areas it hurts is when they seem like they just come so far along with you and then they drop off for whatever reason. Um, and we all say that with our teenagers. They, one day you wake up, you have a 13-year-old in the house and you wonder who in the world this kid is. And that's sometimes we, the same thing with these ministry kids. The young people, they grow and grow and grow. They're starting to turn corners that are good corners. They're starting to make good choices and they drop it all behind because somebody else has a little extra money that they're offering them. They give them the, the ugliness, the mud, the mess of life in exchange for Christ. It sometimes pulls you away from wanting to stay in the ministry. You know, these are the things that happen on a regular basis. Why is there a reason to stay? And yet there's so much reason to stay, just so much. And I, I suppose this brings the joy back to me. When you see a young man that I, introduces himself to me at the end of a gunpoint because he shot so many other people. Matter of fact, he shot his friend twice. When he accepts Christ and he makes the heavenly newspaper, when the angels are rejoicing because of his decision to follow Christ, that's exciting. What do I want? For people to look back and say, you loved us no matter what. You put up with a lot of mess. And I say, I do it because God did it for me. Light is always in the way of darkness. Always, always, always. Not that I was a light, but God was a light in me. And he, he stood strong when I even failed. All that stuff, if they could look back at that and say, wow, he continued on with us. He must love us. God loved him. And that allowed me to continue on loving everybody else. So your question, and maybe God's calling you to Englewood, you know, we'd love to sign you up. Your question is, how, how, how do they do that? How, how, does, how, how does Paul do that? How does he keep going? And here's the answer. We found it all the way back at the beginning. He said, you will receive power. You'll see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Where do you get the power to have your determination? Where do you get the power to have direction? It comes from the Holy Spirit. 57 times in the book of Acts, it's the word for the Holy Spirit coming in. The word is pneuma, which means wind. It's not something that you can define. It's not something that you can see. It is a he. It is the third person of the Trinity. And Jesus promised us that the Holy Spirit would come and live inside of us. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another, that's the same, that word means exactly like me, advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The, the Jesus came as flesh. 
Emmanuel, God with us. He came as flesh. Now he leaves so that the Holy Spirit can come and be God in spirit form in us. Jesus goes on and says, I I tell you, it's for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate cannot come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is God in the flesh, and that's wonderful. But he says, I want you to have the wind of the Spirit blowing through you. And that's what blew through the first century church. Kyle Adamant said it really well. Because God with you is good. That's Christmas, right? But God in you is better. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. It's hard to describe the Holy Spirit and how he works. You'll learn along the way, as I do. You watch a baby, and you know, they... They're playing with their hands, and one day you, you, you see that look on their face, and they're like, oh, these are mine. They get old enough, they, you know, they realize these are my hands. And as they get older, they can catch a ball, and they can tie their shoes, and, and they can ride a bike, and they can drive a car and use a computer. And, and that's what happens with us with the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, I can assure you that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. It may take you a while to figure out how to listen. I'm still not very good at it. I'm still not as good as I ought to. But I feel the power. And I usually feel the power in the times like like right now when I put myself in a situation where the Holy Spirit has to work. And I guarantee you that Paul didn't never never felt the Holy Spirit more than the day he walked back in to the town that stoned him. It's about relying on him. <clears throat> and you can have that Holy Spirit's presence in you too. The Holy Spirit is God's presence in you and God's power out of you. We'll have, again, we'll have people praying for you. We're going to have a song and some time for you just to do that here. <clears throat> the Spirit of God is here in this room, in the hearts of every believer. You need to understand that it is possible for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you probably already are. And if you're not, we're going to have an opportunity for you to make some decisions because direction and determination ought to lead to a decision. It's tragic how many people have the Holy Spirit and never use Him. A.W. Tozer said, if you took the Holy Spirit out of the New Testament church in the book of Acts, 95% of what they did would go away. If you took the Holy Spirit out of the church of today, he said 95% of it would, would continue to go on. Into Thin Air is a book written by John Krakauer about uh, going to summit Mount Everest. And it's a tragic story of... Andy Harris, who was a person who went up and summited with them, and they summited this massive, you know, tallest peak in the world. They went up to Mount Everest, and on the way down, for some reason, Andy stayed behind. So the rest of his team went on down to the next level, and they left him oxygen. Because when, you when you're up that high, you've got to have oxygen. And, and they left him more oxygen so that he wouldn't run out. And as he got down to that place by himself, they'd already summited down to the next level. And he got on the phone, he said, where's the oxygen? And they said, it's right there in front of you. And he picked up the tanks and, and, and he said, no, these are empty. And they argued with him. They said, no, 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 Andy, those are full. We left those for you. Hook them up. And he argued 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 until he died from lack of oxygen, holding the oxygen tank in his hand that had the ability to save him. Don't be that Christian. Don't be that person who, who, who dies for lack of oxygen when the Holy Spirit is available for you right now. I know that as I stand up here, the Holy Spirit is the oxygen of the Christian faith and the Christian life. And Jesus said He promised us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You just have to acknowledge that He's there and ask.
The journey is difficult. It's hard. Don't attempt it without oxygen, without the Holy Spirit. So maybe a bunch of you need to come up here as we sing this song in just a moment. Come up and get prayer because we would love to help you with that. We're going to have communion trays up here. We've got communion trays in the back. If you get baptized, you won't miss out on it. We're going to listen to a song. We're going to do that together. And then we're going to have communion together. Some of you are ready to get baptized as we do this song. You need to go to the back and, and get signed up. And we'll have you get lined up. And, and we'll baptize you. Maybe, maybe you're just like, wow, this is my first time. Hey, you know what? It's going to be in the 70s today. Go get baptized and walk out wet. It's not going to hurt you. He got up and he got baptized. Some of you need to come up for prayer. All right. So what I want to do right now is I want to stand. We're going to listen to this song. You can sing along with this, a new one. But if you can sing along if you want, let's stand together. <clears throat> because I believe that this is a posture we need to take as we're accepting the Holy Spirit right now. And what I want you to do as we just listen is I want you to pray this prayer. God, would you please fill me with your Holy Spirit? I just want for you to repeat Peter's good confession after me, if you would. Would you just do this? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He is my Lord and Savior. Now come on up, baptism people. Um, if you want prayer, listen, um, there's people up here waiting for you too. we got baptism people coming up. Uh, come on up. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray for the communion, and then they're going to pass it. And uh, after we're done praying, you guys can be seated so that you can pass the communion. But keep coming up. Keep coming up for prayer. This is going to keep going on. However God wants it to happen, that's how it's going to happen. Lord Jesus, we just pray right now as we get ready for communion that your spirit will continue to be here, that you'll let us experience the, the, the beauty of your presence. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come into this place. In Jesus' name I pray.